Welcome to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. Today we'll hear from lead pastor Dave Carroll as he teaches a message titled, Enemy Number Three, Pain. Let's join in now. Well, hopefully you turn to Job chapter 30, but before we get there, we've got a few things to do. First of all, I was thinking about pain because we've gone through the three enemies. Now this will be the third today. We've gone through pride. We've gone through unforgiveness, and today is pain. I'm thinking, how can I introduce pain? Well, I, I think I, I looked in the, the Greek dictionary to look up, wait, what did the New Testament writers say when they were talking about pain? And at the very end, I saw it, and I thought, aha, now I get it. Now I know, understand what they're talking about when they say pain. I don't never experienced it, but I understand it fully. And uh, here's how you spell pain. You may want to write this down. C H I L-D, space, B-I-R-T-H. <laughs> Childbirth. Yeah. Uh, can I get an amen, ladies? That is pain. I got to tell you, um, when I think of pain, I, I wasn't thinking about this, you know, because as a pastor, I'm trying to think there's people coming and, and uh, man, they're going through some stuff. And there's a lot of painful things in this life, aren't there? There's some painful things in this life, things that hurt. But when I saw childbirth and after having four boys, I went, that's pain right there. The New Testament writers, they got it. But uh, pain is, it's a hard subject because when, anytime we talk about pain, painful things start to pop up in our mind. Our past comes back to haunt us. Um, you know, our reputation starts to catch up to us. Uh, maybe our current situation begins to look a little bigger, a little stronger than what we're capable of handling. But I'm here to tell you today that Jesus came and he can cure pain. Do you believe that today? He can cure the pain in your life. That is a great truth of scripture. And, and so the scripture that is our memory verse is very possible. Let's stand right now and say it. It's on the back of your program if you're taking notes today. You have all the message notes you can follow along. But this has been our memory verse for the entire series and I've asked us to stand and say it together. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Let's read it again. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. You may be seated. Now, before we jump in the scripture, I want to recap what it means to be grateful. Because if we're talking about enemies of gratefulness, we have to remember what it means to be grateful. Now, here are the elements of biblical gratefulness. You may want to just circle these just to help you remember them. First of all, greatness requires a giver. There's always a giver. Gratefulness is about what I can give, not what I can receive. Secondly, gratefulness is always uh, something that starts from pleasing thoughts. You, you have to put, remember that electric dog fence we talked about last week. We, you have to put that up so that your thoughts can only stay in the realm of things that are pleasing, not just to you, but pleasing to God. Like Philippians 4 says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, it's lovely, excellent, of good repute. Think on those kind of things. Gratefulness starts with thoughts that are pleasing to God. And then thirdly, gratefulness is always a verbal response. Remember, we've been talking about how a thank you left unsaid is often not a thank you at all. And we're all guilty of 
forgetting to say thank you. But finally, we know that biblical gratefulness and true gratefulness that's lasting, that becomes an attitude of your heart, that becomes a part of your character, is always directed at God. God is the final one who is the object of our gratefulness. And anytime we stop short of that, we have temporary gratefulness, and that's where these enemies come and beat us up. But today, in Job chapter 30, we're going to encounter a guy who really had a tough life. As a matter of fact, he beat Alexander out on having a terrible, no good, very bad day. You know what I'm saying? Uh, His day was pretty awful. And, And we get this glimpse into the conversations between him and his friends and him and God. Now, we could spend a whole two or three months going through the book of Job. And I know uh, sometimes I've met some people who are new to the Bible and they're like, this is really cool. God even cares about my job. You know, he's like, well, I'm gonna open the book here and uh, read about it. But no, it's Job. And uh, here's what happened to Job, just to recap. Job was a righteous guy. Job lived for Jesus. Job was faithful to God. He was a person who was considered Righteous, which in the Old Testament, that was a pretty big deal. It means he did a lot that was right in God's eyes. And one day Job wakes up, and you ready for this? All of his sons and daughters, all of his sons and daughters are drinking and eating and having a good time because Job was rich. And the roof collapses on his sons and daughters. Boom, they're all dead. All of a sudden, things start to come and take his livestock And he lived about the time of Abraham. So you're looking way back, way past 2000 BC. And so wealth was measured in livestock, not in money. And he was very rich and he had all these cattle and and all these ox. And plague after plague drops them in one day. One day he loses everything. And then to boot, he ends up getting skin boils. He gets a form of leprosy. This is a pretty bad day, isn't it? I mean, if you think your day has ever been pretty bad, this is a really, really bad day that caused a lot of pain, a lot of pain in Job's life. So much so that his friends looked at this and started saying, you must be doing something wrong. Something has to be really bad in your life. We don't know if we should hang around you anymore. And they start giving him a ton of bad advice. In fact, it's 30 chapters of bad advice for the most part in Job where his friends are ripping him apart from God. And at the end of this day, it gets even worse where his wife looks at him and says, you know what, Job? I know your character. I know you're a good guy. You know what you should do? This is what she says. You should curse God right now and commit suicide. That's essentially what's happened to Job. That's a It's pretty painful. And and today, as we go into Job's conversation with God, I want you to know that your conversation with God is important. How you deal with pain is extremely important because it's one of these enemies that is the great equalizer in life, right? It doesn't matter how wealthy you are. It doesn't matter how good-looking you are, how skinny, how fat how poor, how many times you've been divorced, how, how long you've been married, how many kids you have, how many kids you don't have. It doesn't matter. Pain comes to all of us, doesn't it? It really does. It, it, it's no respecter of persons. But here is the great news about pain. Out of the three enemies we're talking about today, pain can actually become your frenemy, all right? Uh, have you heard that term? It's kind of like the tween term. Uh, it 
it seems like it's an enemy, but it can be the greatest friend that you ever had to draw you closer to God than you've ever been and become a person that is so pleasing to God. And this is what's beginning to happen in Job's life. And so we pick it up in Job chapter 30, verse 15 all the way through 31. And for those of you who like conversations and like reading about what people think, read the book of Job. It has a lot of that. In fact, uh, it's like almost 40 chapters of nothing but conversation. So here we pick it up. Job is talking to God and he says this, terrors are turned upon me. They pursue my honor as the wind and my prosperity has passed like a cloud. And now my soul is poured out because of my plight, the days of, attra- of affliction take hold of me. My bones are pierced in me at night, and my gnawing pains take no rest. Has anybody ever had pain that takes no rest? That, that it just it doesn't go away? This is what Job is feeling. By great force, my garment is disfigured. It binds me about as the collar of my coat. He has cast me into the mire. Who is he? God, he recognizes that somehow God has allowed this. And back in in early in Job, you figure out that God actually went to Satan and said, have you ever thought about my servant Job? Have you ever thought about him? Wow, yeah, God can allow the pain, which tells us why pain can also become our friend. And I have become like the dust and ashes. He says, I cry out to you, God, But you do not answer me. Have you ever felt that way? Where you've cried out to God asking for help and the pain is there. You can't make it stop. And God won't answer. Well, Job felt this way. He says, I stand up and you regard me. But you have become cruel to me with the strength of your hand. You oppose me. You lift me up to the wind and cause me to ride on it. You spoil my success for I know that you will bring me to death and to the house appointed for all the living. Surely he would not stretch out his hand against a heap of ruins if they cry out when he destroys it. Have I not wept for him who was in trouble? He's saying, haven't I gone the extra mile, God? Have I not, has my soul not grieved for the poor? When I looked for good, evil came to me. When I waited for the light, came darkness. My heart is in turmoil and I can't rest. Days of affliction confront me. I go about mourning, but not in the sun. I stand up in the assembly. He goes to church, right, cries out for help. And he says, I'm a brother of jackals and a companion of ostriches. Means he goes to church and everybody's like, Job, we don't need to be around you because if we're around you, we don't want anything bad to happen. You know that kind of, have you ever been that kind of person or known that kind of person where you're like, something, something's wrong. I don't want to, I'm going to back away. This is what was happening to Job. He said, my skin grows black and falls from me. He looked disfigured. My, burn, my bones burn with fever. My harp is turned to mourning and my flute to the voice of those who weep. In other words, he turned into a country music star, right? Started singing about everything that he lost. This might have been the birth of country music. We don't know this, but it very well could have been. Job had an option. He's wrestling with God. He's saying, God, why? Why is this happening to me? I don't understand it. When will there there be light in my darkness? And he had a choice to let pain become an enemy of his gratefulness and ruin not only his walk with God, but his attitude in life. And this 
is where we come to the place to talk about pain. Everybody, take the, if you're taking notes, write this down. Pain says, I place God in the way of a grateful heart. Now, if we recap for just a second, remember that pride says, I'm going to elevate myself and I get in the way of me and God. Pride is my problem. Unforgiveness is where I put others in the way between me and God. And and remember, unforgiveness is where we want to just get a cheap win. Unforgiveness is something where we say, well, you know what I could do? I I can beat up on this person over here. I can beat up on my spouse. I can beat up on my ex. I can beat up on my kids. I can beat up on my boss so that I feel good about myself. But yet we never get to a place of gratefulness and contentment in Christ because unforgiveness gets in the middle other people. But pain is different. Pain is where we literally try to grab onto the throne of God in heaven and we're trying to yank him down, saying, get down here. You're not really God. I don't really trust you. And you know what that makes you? It makes you human to think that way. It doesn't make you a bad person, but you can't stay there. Job, he had a pretty tough conversation with God, didn't he? That was about as rough of a conversation as it gets, about as real. But here's what you have to know about pain. The more we know about pain, the more we can respond appropriately to it and let God do his work in us. The first thing that you need to know about pain is that the great tool that Satan has in pain is loss. Usually, The pain that hurts the most accompanies the greatest loss in our life. You know, it could be you lose your health. It could be that you've lost your family. It could be that you had a business deal go bad and now you're in loss. You may have foreclosed a home. You may have seen your bank account dwindle. You may have lost a friend. You may have lost a parent relationship where you no longer speak And that causes great pain. You see, Satan's been using this since the beginning. What did he try to convince Adam and Eve of? Hey, you're going to lose knowledge if you don't eat this. Well, I don't want to lose anything. I don't want there to be any pain or any trial in my life, any hardship. What did he do with Cain and Abel? Man, Adam and Eve had to feel terrible at the loss of their son Abel when Cain killed him the first murder recorded in history. Satan's been using loss for a long time. But this is what Paul said. He said in Philippians 3, verse 7 and 8, he said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so I could gain Christ." Do you see, when our eyes are focused solely on earthly things, pain, the enemy of pain has a chance to knock us out because we think that our whole life's worth is off of things in this world. And here Paul says, how did I combat combat loss? I just went ahead and lost it all anyway and said the only thing worth it to me in this life is knowing Jesus Christ. And by that, no one, not death, nor life, nor principality, nor angels. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. You see, that's something that will bring you through the pain. But pain causes a fight. Whether it's silent or aggressive, whether it's an inward conversation like Job had with God, 
or whether it's going crazy and, and trying to destroy everything around you, pain often causes a fight. And you know why it causes a fight? It's because when pride and unforgiveness don't work, we often resort to pain. When pride and unforgiveness don't work, and they never do, when we elevate ourselves and we think, well, maybe this will help me feel better. Maybe, maybe I'll walk around happy now. And when it doesn't work, you go, well, maybe I'll attack others and get a win. And you feel better for a little while, and it doesn't work. And then you start to say, oh, you know what? I'll, I've tried to fight with myself. I've tried to fight with others. Now it's time for me to fight with God. It's time to fight with God. And here's what we have to do. We have to lay down the gloves. We have to lay down the gloves. But I know why the fight happens. And here's what you have to know about pain is that pain causes a crisis of belief. We said that Job was righteous, right? Job was a guy that had it together. Not only was he successful, but he was godly. And yet he lost everything. And yet he lost everything, and it causes this crisis of belief. And I know one of the biggest questions about pain is this. Why does God allow pain in this world? Why is there even pain? Can, can God really even exist? You know, uh, Amy and I heard it just yesterday in a Wendy's. I heard it just two months ago sitting down with my grandpa who doesn't know Christ. He says, you know why I can't believe in God? I can't believe in God because I walked through a children's ward one time for all the kids they hide who were born with deformities. And he said, I, I don't know. How can God exist in this? And that's a distant pain, something like a problem in the world. But some of us bring it down more personal. And, and we wonder, God, can you really be there if this painful thing in my life has happened to me? If I've turned out how I've turned out, where are you? Well, pain is a great tool of God. And Scripture doesn't really say. It's pretty silent on why God would allow pain. It, it's, I, I tried real hard to find some Scriptures. And it, there's not one that says why God allows pain. But there's plenty, plenty of Scripture that shows us what, what God is trying to accomplish through pain in our lives. I love this quote. This quote is by Dorothy Sayers, who wrote a book named Creed or Chaos. I love this. She says, for whatever reason, God chose to make man as he is, limited in suffering and subject to sorrows and death. He had the honesty and courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he is playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and he's played fair. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience. From the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and the lack of money to the worst of horrors, pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and even death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. Wow. See, 
God believes in pain enough that he would even take pain. You see, if he was cruel, if he thought that pain didn't have a purpose, then the cross would never have happened. We would never be forgiven. We would never be free. I know for many people that we encounter, when we talk about pain, they want to know all the knowledge in the world trying to figure out why does pain exist. But I'd like to submit to you today, in pain, in the middle of the crisis of belief, that maybe we need less books Maybe we need less written on the subject. Maybe we need to seek less knowledge. And maybe people would start to believe that God is real. That he exists, that he cares. If you and I would trust him through our pain. And forgive my emotion because you know, through a season of pain, I, I recognize the difficulty. But I know this. Pain is always measuring one thing. You may want to write it down. Pain is measuring our distance from God. You see, people in third world countries who are starving to death, they never say, where is God in the pain? Because they know where he is, because they're close to him. Because they daily depend on him in their struggles. But somehow, we think that comfort is the best. But really what is being best is being close to Jesus. And if more Christians would step up and live for Christ and close the gap of distance and live in the presence of God through their pain, the world would know that God is real and they wouldn't need a book to prove it. So what is God trying to do with pain? What is he trying to do with somebody like Job who had a terrible day? God uses pain to strengthen our character. He uses pain to strengthen our character. You see, character is a muscle. Character is not some magical thing that gets put inside of us. But it's a muscle that has to be worked. All of us want to become the people that God wants us to become. Is there anybody in the room who wants to become the person that God wants, intended you to be in the beginning? Well, that's right. Well, it's God is producing character. And without pain... We don't get to stress the muscle, and the muscle never grows. Now, I used to be, and all of you can tell, I used to be a weightlifter, right? I used to pump iron, and uh, now I I pump forks. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'm really good with the fork. Really, really, really good with it. I can pick up anything with it. But I, I remember working out. When I first started, I thought, oh, that hurts. You know, hey, bench pressing... 150 pounds, oh, that's hard. I don't want to do that anymore. So I would stop, and my muscles were sore for weeks. I remember one time in college, thanks. 
I remember one time in college, uh, I hadn't worked out in a while, and I decided to run five miles in my class. And I remember uh, getting done with it going, yeah, see, I didn't need to work out. I didn't need to be in shape. I ran the whole thing. I ran the whole five miles the whole way. didn't stop once. And uh, I didn't stand up out of a chair for about three days afterward, right? Well, pain is that way. Pain is stressing the character muscle in your spirit, in your soul. And when God puts that pressure on us through pain, really what is happening is we're starting to look more and more like him. So God has the purpose and the pain, and that's our character. Now, let's turn, flip over a little bit to Job chapter 42. Let's read the end of Job's life. Or the end of the record of his conversation with God, anyway. Job goes through all this struggle. He has to endure a lot of bad advice. Does anybody ever get bad advice in pain? It seems like that's the only kind of advice that ever pops up in pain is bad advice. But Job goes through this series of emotions. He's lost everything. He's sitting there. He's with God. And at the very end, this is what he says to God. Job chapter 42 and verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do how much? Everything. And that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand because God had been asking him a bunch of questions and Job was firing back answers through the whole book saying, I think I know what's going on, God. And he says, I don't even know what I was talking about. You have things that are too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by hearing of the ear, but I love this. And here's the purpose and pain. He said, I've heard of you. I know about you. I love this line right here. You may want to underline it in your Bible. But now my eyes see you. You want to see God? You want to get close to him? You want to understand who he is and have a close relationship? God will have to use pain. He will have to use pain. So you don't just know about him, but you know him. You get what I'm saying? You see the difference. And then he said this, Therefore I abhor myself. And repent in dust and ashes. Remember how we said pain causes us to grab the the, the handles of the throne of God and try to pull him down? Well, there in verse 6, he said, I abhor myself. He's getting rid of pride. He's getting rid of unforgiveness. You see, the enemy starts to fall. Now, not even pain can be an enemy, but pain has become his friend. He pushes God back up to the throne. And he said, I'm no longer everything I thought. But God, you are everything. Here's the good news about pain. There's one pivotal point that will determine whether or not it becomes your enemy or whether it becomes God's instrument of character in your life. And here's the word. It's surrender. You see, pain always causes surrender. You're going to surrender in pain. The question is not whether you will surrender. The question is, who or what will you surrender to? You're going to have to do it anyway. It's kind of like the phone call. I love it when Amy calls me and I'm at the grocery store because I wanted to get something. You know, guys, guys do go to the grocery store, but it's when we get like one thing in our head that it's like, man, I would really like to get some. Fill in the blank. You know, they'll go get that thing. It's like that uh, Facebook 
map that you've seen going around where a guy just goes in, zip, so the thing walks out instead of like zigzagging around the store. But uh, I love when she calls me and says, hey, will you do, uh, will you get something from the grocery store? And I'm already standing in the grocery store, right? Because it's like, I'm there anyway. I'm like, this is a big husband score. I'm going to win. I'm going to win. Well, surrender is something you're going to have to do anyway. If, if you are in pain, you are standing in a place where you will surrender. You have to do it anyway. But who are you going to surrender to? Even Jesus in Luke chapter 23 verse 46 said this. Then Jesus shouted when he was on the cross, right? Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with these words, he breathed his last. Even Jesus, remember he put his money where his mouth was, played fair with his creation, came and experienced everything we've experienced. He said, I surrender my spirit to you, God. What an example of surrender. When on the cross, he had all these emotions. My God, why have you forsaken me? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. All these enemies of gratefulness, all these enemies of being close to Jesus. We're starting to well up in, in fully man, Jesus, who is fully God and fully man. But the fully God part struck down the enemies and he was able to surrender. But you may wonder, how do I surrender? Well, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Here they are. We learned this from Job. You'd have to read the whole book to get them, which we won't do because I know that you want to eat turkey on Thursday, right? And so here, here's what Job did. When you look at, go back and read Job 1. It's homework this week. And then read Job 42. And one of the most amazing things that kicked off Job's ability to surrender was he remained in the presence of God. And that's the first part of the process of biblical surrender, pointing your surrender in pain the right direction. Elizabeth Elliot, who was a missionary, who went on a missionary journey and right away had her husband killed by the locals, said this about the presence of God in pain. She said, I'm not a theologian or a scholar. Well, good, now we can all relate, right? But I am very aware of the fact that pain is necessary to all of us. In my own life, I think I can honestly say that out of the deepest pain has come the strongest conviction of the presence of God and the love of God in my life. You see, if you and I will just remain in the presence of God during pain, we are starting to get biblical surrender. If we'll stay there. And here's, here's the news. You can't leave God's presence anyway. Check out Psalm 139. If you read verses 7 through 12, it said, that the psalmist said, where can I go from your presence? He said, if he went to hell, God would be there. If he went to the depths of the earth, God would be there. He said, if I went to the darkest place in all of creation, there God would go, oh, there you are. You can't run from his presence. So stay in it during pain. Stay there in the fire with God and close the distance. Here's the second part of the process. Display biblical patience. Display biblical patience. Patience is 
one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's something that the Holy Spirit of God and the believer is trying to develop in our lives. And when we exit out of surrender and because of impatience, here's what ends up happening. Addiction begins, up ha- begins to happen. This is where the parts of our personality that we hate begin to happen because we won't stay for the long haul. We won't stay from chapter one to chapter 42. We want to exit out at chapter 10 and go, God, this is too much pain. I'm tired. Now I'm going to hit the alcohol. Now I'm going to beat my spouse. Now I'm going to be angry at somebody. I'm going to bust out and yell at people. God, I have a cure for this that's better than your cure and better than your time. And so I'm going to push patience away. That's what we like to do. But the truth is, if we'll wait on God's time, his answer is best. Hear me, friend, hear me. God's timing is better than your timing and my timing. You may think you need the money now. You may think that, you're, that God has turned his back on you. But here's the truth. When God comes through, when he is done with his purpose and pain, the end result will be better than anything you or I could ever do on our, on our own. The third process of surrender is this. How do we know that, that we've defeated this enemy and gratefulness has welled up in our life where it's, it, our praise and our thankfulness and our gratefulness is directed at God? It's when our pain produces praise. One of the reasons I love singing, you know, a lot of people say, why do we sing in church? There are a couple different reasons. I'm not going to name them all. But one of the things I really have come to love about singing in church is that no matter what's happened in my week, I have to praise. I have to show up and I have to say, God, thank you for this week, even if the week stunk. You know what I'm saying? Even if it's been one of those weeks. I show up and I have to praise. And you know what it does? It like strong arms my surrender to the right direction. And now this enemy of pain no longer has a grip on my life. But instead, I get to be grateful. And, and, and next thing you know, I leave Sunday morning. I never leave Sunday morning discouraged. It's funny, no matter how tough Sunday morning could be or Saturday or the day before or the day before, I never leave Sunday morning. And, and here's the news, and you can agree with me. I'll get a big amen. It's not because the sermons are great. <laughs> That's not it. Amen. I knew, I knew I'd get one. But you know why it is? It's because I've emptied myself out in praise, even in my deepest, darkest of circumstances. And I walk out full of joy, knowing that God is real and that he exists and that he has a plan for everything going on in my life, including my pain. Listen to this. Uh, Psalm thirty-four, eighteen says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. You may be running trying to create distance, but not God. He rescues those who are crushed in their spirit. And here's the best news of all. The best news of all is God is the one who knocks out the pain. You and I don't have to. If we'll stay close in his presence, he will deal with a knockout blow. Anybody remember uh, Mike Tyson and Buster Douglas? I'm going back in boxing history. But it was one of the most built-up fights there was in the history of boxing, and it lasted all of less than a minute. In fact, I want to say, I don't remember exactly, but it was less than 30 seconds. In fact, I think it was one punch, where Buster Douglas came in the ring after a week of talking smack, 
saying he's going to knock out Mike Tyson. He walked in the ring. He didn't even get his fist cocked. And the dude was on the ground. He had lost the match. Well, the same thing happens with our pain if we'll just stay in the ring. Listen what happens no matter what. God has a knockout blow coming to Satan and, and, and so that we can live victorious. Revelation chapter 21 verse 4 says this. He will wipe away how many tears? Every tear from their eyes. And there will be how much? No more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things will be gone for how long? Forever. This is what you have in Christ. This is why we can be grateful even, even when pride tempts us, even when other people hurt us, even when life deals us a blow and we start to blame God. We can push all that aside, these enemies of gratefulness, and we can be thankful to Jesus knowing that he will give the knockout blow if we will stay close to him. Isn't that a great thing today? It is. Well, as the band comes and our time of response starts... I want to ask you a couple questions. And I want to encourage you also to take out your connection card and do business with God. You'll have a chance to do that as we stand and sing here in a minute. Maybe today you realize you can't be close to God because you've never had a personal relationship with him. You see, the Bible says that Jesus spilled his blood on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. That if we'll come and believe on him, if we'll place our faith in him, he will receive us to, into his kingdom. We'll become his children. Maybe today you need to do that for the first time. There's a sample prayer in the back. Now, it's not a magical prayer. The, prayer, the words don't save you. It's your heart toward God. But it's something you could say to him to say, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I want to receive your work on the cross today. You could do that. But, but here's some, another, another question I want to ask you. What is the pain in your life producing? Is it producing gratefulness? Or is it producing hate? Is it producing something sour or something sweet? Do business with God in that area today. Here's another question. Are you surrendered to God? Or are you surrendered to an addiction for temporary fixes instead of the lasting patience that produces the character of God in your life? Here's the last question. Out of the three places in the process of surrendering to God in pain, which one do you need to work on? Do you need to work on the presence of God, staying in his presence? Do you need to work on the patience or do you need to work on the praise? God, I will praise you in this storm. Whatever that is, you do business with God. I'm going to pray right now and we'll stand and sing. God, we thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for the story of Job and for a guy who was able to navigate the painful places in life with victory and with joy. And God, how he came to a place knowing that your presence was where he needed to be. God, I know there is great pain in this room. Lord, I know there is great pain in this city, in this state, in our nation, and across the world. And God, today, we confess that many times we've been upset at you or questioned you because of our pain. But today, instead, God, we turn it back to praise. God, knowing that you have a purpose, 
Lord, we ask that you would develop your character in our heart and in our life. Father, that we would look more like you as you stress our muscles that are spiritual. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, let's stand and worship the Lord and pour back praise on him this morning. listening to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. You can find out more about our church or listen to other messages at elevationbuildings.com. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.